RadioInfluence.com. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. Of course, I am your host, Vincent Hill. Today is Tuesday, May 29th, 2018. A very stormy Tuesday, at least here in Atlanta. We're uh, getting the effects of that uh, tropical storm. Uh, I believe they're calling this one Alberto, which was down in South Florida. Now it's making its way up north. We're getting the uh, the brunt of that. It's been storming on and off all day. As we speak right now, I can hear thunder in the background, so I hope that doesn't come across to you guys. I don't want you to think I'm outside or anything like that, but uh, it's been storming back and forth here in Atlanta. Uh, I want to send a special thanks. As you know, yesterday was Memorial Day. I want to send a special thanks to our service members, I being a veteran. You know, it's a very, very dear subject to my heart. My dad was a veteran, two tours in Vietnam. He served for 30 years. But, of course, Memorial Day is for those that paid the ultimate sacrifice, giving their lives in the protection of our freedoms here in this country and across the world. Uh, So, you know, I want to say a happy Memorial Day. Thank every veteran that has served. Thank every service member that has given the ultimate sacrifice and the protection of our freedoms. You know, we live in a country where we don't see eye to eye quite frequently, especially with the current political climate. But thankfully, I'm proud to say that I served to allow people to have those freedoms, those differences of opinions. And that's what they are. We see in social media, we see in mainstream media that they get very downright ugly. But They're just differences of opinion. We're allowed to have those. And those that gave their lives paying the ultimate sacrifice are the reason we can do that here in this country. And as bad as people talk about this country, we've seen celebrities go to other countries and talk bad about this country. There's a lot of countries where you don't have that freedom to speak out against, say, your president or to speak out against your vice president or whoever you're speaking out against. A lot of countries, if you do that, You will not make it. That's all I'm going to say. I'll leave it at that. You will not make it. But again, thank you for paying the ultimate sacrifice for my freedom, for everyone's freedom here in the United States and across the world. Now, I want to jump right into it. I got a lot of ground to cover. Um, I want to talk about a few things. Last week, I talked about the Baltimore police officer uh, that was killed Uh, when she was ran over by some burglary suspects. And as the show was going on, they had not released her name. Uh, They had not caught any of the individuals that were responsible for it. But just hours after the show aired last week, uh, we learned that uh, one of the individuals was arrested. I believe they captured a total of four that were were responsible for that officer's death. Uh, Her name has been released. So I want to talk about that case. You won't believe what one of the attorneys uh, for the the alleged getaway driver uh, is saying. They're, uh, basically saying it wasn't his fault and he did not mean he didn't murder the cop. He was just driving away from what he saw as danger. So I want to talk about that. 
I want to talk about um, this latest video that's going on. I believe it's out of Texas where a young lady uh, was arrested for DUI and later uh, said that she was sexually assaulted by the police officer. And, of course, all the people we typically see that speak out against these things, like Sean King and uh, other individuals, were so quick to blast this police officer. And I can't tell you how many times I've said, why don't we wait until until an investigation is done, until body cam is released before we start making these judgments, because then you have to go back on your word like Sean King did and say, oops, my bad. Uh, So I want to talk about that again. She was arrested for DUI. He had body cam. He had dash cam. He took his body cam into the Sally port where she was given her field or her breathalyzer test. All of that was recorded. Uh, So we find out now that no sexual assault took place. Uh, But first, I want to talk about uh, the Sterling Brown incident. And Sterling Brown, for those of you that don't know, is a NBA basketball player for the Milwaukee Bucks, a team that has a special place in my heart since I graduated high school in Milwaukee. I used to watch the Bucks play Chicago Bulls way back in the day. I don't want to date myself, but this is when Jordan was still playing with the Chicago Bulls. So anytime the Chicago Bulls were in town, I was going to the Bradley Center to watch the Bulls versus the Bucks. I was there more to see Michael than to see my own home team. But at any rate, Milwaukee, Milwaukee Bucks, they have a special place in my heart. Now, back in January, uh, Sterling Brown was arrested for... Uh, resisting arrest, I believe it was. And it all started based on uh, improper parking. Now, let me set the stage. Last week, I was on a mainstream media network uh, that is not too pro-police. And, of course, I was being drilled by the host, who I respect highly for her work in journalism. Um, You know, but one of the things was Uh, Why did so many police have to show up? Why did it escalate? Why did they have to do this? And let me break down what happened. And I don't know if you've seen the video. I urge you to go look at it. But I told her, I said, A, we're assuming that police knew he was a pro athlete. B, the assumption of him being a pro athlete, whether the police officers knew it or not, has nothing to do with the situation, has nothing to do with the actions. Now, Uh, I believe he was parked over three parking spots. I don't know how he parked. So, of course, police were out on patrol. This officer shows up. He's like, hey, uh, can I see your license? And immediately, Sterling Brown is verbally combative. So uh, officers show up, backup officers, which is procedure. And one of the things the anchor asked me was, why did you need backup? It was only one person. Why did so many people? And to that, I responded with, I've been in situations where it took five or six officers to subdue one suspect that was under the influence of a narcotic or something. There was a mental health issue or something that caused us to have to use that many officers to restrain this individual. So as the video goes on, you can hear the officer say one of the officers say uh, and keep in mind, there were black officers at the scene. So I'm going to take race out of the equation. Uh, You can hear the officer say, take your hands out of your pocket, which is normal for police officers to say that because, again, I don't care if you're an athlete. I really don't care. Look at Aaron Hernandez. He shot and killed someone. 
He was a pro athlete. I really don't care if you're an athlete. What I do care about is the fact that if your hands are in your pocket and I can't see them, I don't know if you're going for a knife, a gun. I don't know what you're doing. So he's told, take your hands out of your pocket. He says, hold on, there's something in my, I have stuff in my pocket or something to that effect, at which time the officers go to grab them. Because this is, at this point, an officer safety issue. Whether you want to admit it or not, it's an officer safety issue. So when he refused to take his hands out of his pocket, the officers attempt to remove his hands from his pockets. They take him down to the ground. You can hear resistance then you can hear taser, taser, taser just before he's tased. Now, the the network I was on and the host said it was a violent arrest and all of this other stuff. And I said, listen, oh, and, and that the, the uh, police chief has disciplined the officers for acting inappropriately. And one of the things I pointed out and I'll point out here was, Yes, the chief said they acted inappropriately. I don't know what that is. Honestly, I think it's because he's this high-profile athlete that happens to be African-American, and you want to appease, appease the, the masses. But if you notice, the police chief did not say they violated policy. More importantly, the use of force policy. And had they done that, this is what the chief would have said. Because at the end of the day, right... And of course, I got so much hate on Twitter after I came off the air and that I said that a simple traffic stop did not lead to uh, his uh, beat down, per se, blah, 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 which, yeah, that is not what led to the use of force that you see in the video. As I said on air, it was his actions that led to what you saw in the video. Then the host asks, well, what about de-escalation? Don't, aren't police officers taught de-escalation? Well, absolutely. But to that, I say this. De-escalation comes with different circumstances. Every circumstance you're in, you don't have time to de-escalate. When someone has their hands in, your, in their pockets and you're telling them to remove them and they're not doing it, you're not thinking de-escalation. What you are thinking as an officer is that this person may have a gun, a knife, something in a needle. We don't know. People put their hands in their pockets because subconsciously they're covering up their drugs and they don't realize that we're going to tell them to take your hands out of your pocket. So, yes, are police officers trained in de-escalation? Absolutely. But can you use it in every situation? Absolutely not. Because remember, two words, split second. Officers have split second timing, which could either cause them to take a life or lose their lives. So uh, the police association there in Milwaukee came out, made a statement that said, you know, use of force is a normal part of policing. And it's unfortunate that this is getting so much publicity only because of the high profile nature of the individual that encountered police. And I couldn't agree with that statement more. If you look at it, 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 we can argue. I'm sure there's people that will argue. Again, that's part of this great country, differences of opinion. There's people that will argue that it was about race. But I assure you, if you know the law, if you know the use of force continuum, it wasn't about race. It was about, A, officer safety and 
the very first thing in the use of force continuum is verbal commands. And the officer gave verbal commands. Take your hands out of your pocket. Sterling Brown did not do that. And for those that say it is about race, I've lost count of how many Caucasian people that I've arrested that I've had to use force on because it wasn't about race. It was because they were resisting arrest. They did not comply with my verbal commands. They were in the commission of a crime. They were in the commission of trying to assault me. That wasn't about race. And I'll tell you how the mainstream media will play it. There, There's a case, and I can't remember exactly where right now. I want to say it was in Texas. Um, but there's a case. Correction. It's actually in Virginia. But anyway, the case is Marcus Davis Peters. Now, here's a name that has not, and I checked, has not made the mainstream media. He unarmed black male who was shot by a police officer caught on body cam he was naked he had wrecked his car he had ran into the street he got hit by a car he got up he charges at the officer it's like if you don't back up i'm going to kill you the officer tases him has no effect on him which i've said a thousand times people assume tasers are the end-all be-all and they just drop you like that, but not if you're under the influence of a narcotic or there's some mental episode. So at the end of the day, he's charging at the officer. He's swinging at the officer. The officer pulls out his service weapon and shoots him, I believe, twice. He runs away. Now, granted, he was just shot several times. He runs away and he finally falls to the ground. Again, people assume that if you're shot, then the threat is over. It doesn't work that way. Again, this is caught on body cam but i'll tell you how the mainstream media will play it no one has heard of marcus davis peters on cnn or hln or any of the mainstream media because when you watch the body cam the officer his hands and arms look like my arms let me translate that for you the officer himself is african-american he's a black guy So it doesn't fit the narrative that the mainstream media tries to put in people's heads. Now, I'm looking on Google. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking right now as we speak. It's made the local paper. It's made a few of those uh, mom and pop papers, uh, those mom and pop websites. But I don't see anything about it on CNN. I don't see anything about it on HLN. I don't see anything about it because, again, it doesn't fit the narrative. But the facts are the same. An African-American, a black guy, was shot and killed by police. Not because he was a black guy, because obviously the officer who stumbled upon this accident and saw this guy running down the street butt naked and jumping in front of cars and getting hit, he just happened to be the officer there on the scene. He had to use deadly force based on the immediate imminent threat against his life. He tased him which is non-lethal force. He gave verbal commands. That's the first step in the use of force continuum. He gave verbal commands. He did not comply. He charged at the officer. He tased him. It had no effect. The next step, as this guy's assaulting the officer, is, guess what? If you believe that imminent threat is there, it's deadly force. You don't have to go from step one, two, three, four, five, 
before you can get the deadly force. If you believe at that split second that there's that imminent threat of death or serious bodily injury, you can use deadly force. And that's what that officer there in Virginia did. But besides the local papers and these mom and pop websites, we haven't heard of Marcus Davis Peters. But everyone heard of Sterling Brown, who same situation, didn't comply to commands, resisted arrest, was tased, lived. But we hear about that because he's a high-profile athlete, and the initial officer on the scene was white. That's why we hear about it. And back to what the, the anchor asked me on that show, like, why did the officer have to call for backup? Okay, well, let's flip it. Let's say the officer didn't call for backup. And again, we're assuming that he knew that this guy is a basketball player. Not necessarily. I watch basketball avidly, but I can't tell you that I'm going to know every player on a team if I saw them. It's just impossible, right? So let's just say that they're both out there. They get into this physical scuffle and the officer tases him and it has no effect. He uses pepper spray and it has no effect. And they're still in this tussle. And then guess what? The officer in his mind is going to say, "Ooh, there's an imminent threat against my life or serious bodily injury. I have to shoot Sterling Brown. Then what? So it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. The officer called for other units so they wouldn't have to use deadly force. And look how it turned out. It still made the national media. But no one's heard of Marcus Davis Peters and his family lost their son. Now I want to shoot it over to Texas and talk about uh, this latest uh, body cam video that actually came back to clear an officer accused of some pretty bad stuff. This Texas trooper uh, was was accused of sexual assault. And of course, you know, that would have cost him his job. That would have meant prison time. That would have meant a lot of stuff. Um, so the background, he stopped this young lady, Sharita Dixon Cole, uh, for driving under the influence. Uh, and I've watched the, the entire video of it. It's about an hour long. And just listening to her talk and everything that, yeah, she was intoxicated and she failed the field sobriety test, especially the um, task where you have to follow a pen with your eyes in your eyes only. And one of the biggest signs of impairment is when someone is told to do that and they turn their head to follow the pen, that's usually a good sign that you're impaired. Her pupils were dilated. They were bouncy. You know, I've, I've arrested enough people for DUI to know that she was definitely intoxicated. So she's arrested. She's put in the front seat, taken down to the Sally port, given the breathalyzer and booked into jail. So this this trooper assumed that case closed. I arrested her for DUI. I see her in court. However, she contacted her family and said she was falsely arrested and sexually assaulted by this officer. And immediately they hire this attorney who puts out this statement that uh, it was a false arrest. Um, she was placed in the front seat in handcuffs, although she, she was not intoxicated. The officer had no right to stop her. And 
while she was seated in the front seat on the way to jail, he pulled up her dress and was rubbing between her legs and her vaginal area and all of this just horrific stuff that if, you know, you you were a female and this was happening to you, I can't imagine what you would be going through. Uh, So supposedly once he got her to jail, the sexual assault continued. So thankfully, this uh, state trooper, as many state troopers, especially in the state of Texas, was wearing uh, body cam. And of course, I'm sure his uh, vehicle had dash cam. So you watch the body cam. And again, the DUI stop was by the book. He gives the field sobriety task. He puts her in the front seat of the car. That's not disputable. Now, what is disputable is what's not captured on that body cam is the fact that he's rubbing his hand between her legs because A, you don't see it. And B, you would assume that you would hear, hey, what are you doing? Why are you touching me there? Why are you doing this? So they get to the Sally port and the trooper takes off his body cam. He puts it in front of the uh, breathalyzer machine, which captures not only him, but it captures her. He goes through the procedure. He has her blow into the machine. He explains it to her. He reads everything to her. And at not any point did the officer touch her inappropriately or say anything sexually. Then she was later booked for DUI as she should have been because she failed the field sobriety test. I'm not sure what her breathalyzer test was, but she failed. Um, So she was arrested. Again, it should have been an open and shut case, but it wasn't. She got this attorney who now has had to come out and make a statement apologizing. But before that, uh, once that story broke by these attorneys and her family, it was shared online more than 50,000 times. And of course, people that we always see like Sean King, who speaks out about these injustices uh, by police, took to the bandwagon and was saying how, you know, this stuff has to stop. Here's this white guy that assaulted this beautiful black woman and all of this stuff. But it turns out it was false. So Sean King had to come out and apologize. And now he's saying he's the victim of his own false reporting. I don't know how you can say that to Sean King. I, I say this, that I say to everyone, get the facts first. Don't jump to conclusions. So the attorney came out and said he is deeply troubled. Uh, No, it is deeply troubling when innocent parties are falsely accused. And I am truly sorry for any trouble these claims may have caused Officer Hubbard and his family. I take full responsibility for amplifying these claims to the point of national concern. Now, this is from Sharita. uh, what, What is her name? Sharita. Dixon Cole's attorney. This is the attorney that spread this on social media 50,000 times once he posted it. And now he had to come back and eat his words. Now, this is, I think, the third prominent case of body cams coming back to clear officers, right? We saw it in South Carolina with the NAACP and the, the slash preacher guy who claimed that Uh, The officer racially profiled him, asked if there were drugs in the car, threatened his family, all of this stuff, which body cam turned out to be 
show show that it was false. You saw the South Carolina driver in Virginia who claimed she felt like uh, Sandra Bland and she felt threatened and she was racially profiled, but simply she was doing 75 and a 55. And the things that she said happened uh, were not supported by body camera. And now you have this, which I think is the most serious of the effects because this could have ended his career. We are in the Me Too movement. You see guys getting in trouble right now for this type of thing. This could have ended his career, could have sent him to prison. So I think this is the most horrific case. And I think it's a slap in the face to any true sexual assault victim. Because that's why some people have a hard time believing people when they come forward about these sexual assault cases, especially when they've waited for a while. It's people like Sharita Dixon Cole that make it hard for real, true sexual assault victims. So she did a disservice to women across this country by accusing this officer falsely of some sexual harassment or I'm sorry, sexual assault that she knows did not occur. It's a disservice to women across this country. But at at what point do we as society say, hey, these people need to be held accountable for their actions. Now, in Texas, filing a false police report is a class B misdemeanor. And quite frankly, I think that Sharita Dixon Cole should be charged with filing this false police report because that's what she did when she got the attorney involved. She went and filed this report and said that she was sexually assaulted. She went through all of the the motions to say, yes, I was sexually assaulted. I was raped, essentially, by this officer. So I personally feel that she should be charged. I feel that the NAACP guy in South Carolina should be charged. I feel that the driver that got stopped in Virginia should be charged. And maybe this way people will stop making these false accusations against these officers. And maybe this way people that are, are always so quick to come out and talk about them and blast it over social media like Sean King will say, you know what, I'm going to take a step back. And once we ha- have all the information that I can determine, yes, some wrongful things occurred, some injustices occurred, then I'll speak on it. Maybe if we start charging, if police start charging these people, maybe that will happen. All right, out to Baltimore because we are almost out of time and I still have to uh, spotlight my officer of the week as well as my 10-7 segment. So last week we talked about the officer who was ran over. So comes out, uh, the officer's name was... Officer Amy Caprio of the Baltimore County Police Department. Now, to recap, uh, about 2.30 that afternoon last week, she was responding to what was uh, believed to be a burglary in progress. Uh, Initial reports said she was shot because neighbors say they heard shots fired. Uh, Turns out she was ran over by this Jeep. Now, the attorney for the driver of this Jeep, DeWanta Harris uh, claimed that the child didn't intend to kill the officer. So it was an accident. He was just getting away from what he believed was danger. I assume he's saying that danger was this officer that was coming to actually do her job and investigate 
this burglary. Um, but he, here's why this whole thing not only ticks me off, but it sickens me because, again, people are not willing to take accountability for their own actions. They are not willing to take accountability for their own actions. So, A, whether he intended to kill her or not, she's dead. She's no longer with us. B, he was driving a reported stolen vehicle. He claims that he didn't know what his friends were doing outside of the vehicle. I come back and counter that to say, well, if you knew you were driving a stolen vehicle, you knew the neighborhood you were in, you didn't live in, you knew it wasn't one of your friend's houses that they were walking in, you were well aware of what they were doing going inside that home. You were well aware that they were going to commit a burglary because you don't just get into a car that you know is not yours, you know it's not your buddies, you know it's not your homeboys, and say, hey, man, this is a nice Jeep. I'm not going to ask you any questions. I'm not going to ask you if it's your mama's, your daddy's. I'm just going to get in and drive it. Oh, and by the way, man, why is this steering column punched out? Oh, man, don't even worry about that. Don't worry about that, man. Just drive. Just drive. Okay. Okay, I'll drive. So I don't believe for one second that this kid who's 16, who had a prior record as a juvenile, who was currently on probation as a juvenile, had no clue of what was going on when they were out at 2.30 in the afternoon. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because my son is 17. And at 2.30 that afternoon, my son was in school. So if I'm not mistaken, at 16, this kid should have been in school. So there's so many people that I blame for this. I definitely blame the parents who are sitting at this press conference crying because their son is now facing murder charges. I blame you for failing your Son, I don't know why you're crying now. You should have been crying when he was skipping school all these times. You should have been crying when he was out stealing cars. You should have been crying when he was getting probation. But now that he's facing a murder charge, which is usually how that escalates, you start out small, you steal cars, you break into homes. Oh, uh-oh, now I got to kill someone. That's usually how it works. I blame you for failing your son because at 2.30 in the afternoon, him and all his little homies that were in that Jeep should have been in school. So I blame DeWanta Harris's parents. I blame the other kids' parents for failing their child. Now, all of a sudden, they want the public to feel sympathy for him because he didn't mean to do it. He didn't mean to kill the police officer. It doesn't matter. He was culpable in her murder. He was complacent in her murder. His actions led to her murder. So whether he meant to do it or not, he did it. So why should we feel sorry for him? Because he didn't mean to do it and he didn't know what his buddies were doing. His attorney says, and I quote, people are making a lot of assumptions. They're assuming that this young man stole the car and that and they are assuming that he drove it from Baltimore. They are assuming he knew the three that got out of the car were going to burglarize a home. 
So it goes back to what I said. A, he was driving at the time because he admitted that the officer was ran over. But it goes back to what I said. Hey, 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 dog. Hey, dog. Whose car is that? Uh, uh, man, uh, um, don't even worry about it, man. Just, just, we're going to go in this house. Don't worry about that you've never seen this, us in this car, and you know it's not my mom or my dad's car. Don't worry about it, man. You just sit right here in this driver's seat, and when you see us running, man, crank the car and get out of here. Okay. No, no, no. I don't believe that. He's 16 in Baltimore, a city with a high crime rate, and he's on probation. He knew exactly what he was doing. So for someone to say, oh, it wasn't intentional. Oh, yeah, yeah. I might even agree to say, yeah, I'm sure when he woke up that morning, although the plan was to go burglarize houses, which he knew about, I'm sure that plan did not include running over a police officer. I'm sure of it. But it goes back to what I say. People don't want to go to jail, especially people that have been there, especially people that are on probation. They don't want to go back to jail. So what did he do? He hightailed it out of there. He showed no regard that that officer was standing right there when he ran her over. Because he didn't want to go back to jail. So if his intent was to not go back to jail and his actions were reckless, which led to her death, I would almost say that he did intend to kill her because his main focus was to get away. His main focus wasn't to just do what he should have done, stop the car. Everyone should have got out with their hands out while she had them at gunpoint to wait for backup because it was a felony in progress and they were in a rolling stolen. If he cared, that's what he would have done. If his parents raised him right, that's what he would have done. But instead, he was so hell bent on not getting caught, not going back into the system that he took off and he had no regard for that officer's life. So I would say that his actions were indeed intentional. Of course, I will be following this case from start to finish. And once we have resolution in this courtroom, I think they're all being tried as adults, as they should. Uh, once we have resolution, you know, I will definitely bring it to you on this show. Um, you know, the sad part in this whole thing is that this officer, um, Amy Caprio, is kind of a lost piece to this story. But yet she's the biggest piece Again, I didn't hear it on mainstream media. I didn't hear it. But yet now you got the family on the media saying, oh, he was a good kid. He didn't mean to do anything. He just drove away from danger. The sad part is that Amy Caprio, the biggest piece of this story, has been downgraded to the very smallest, minute piece of this story. All right, switching gears, I want to highlight my officer of the week this took place in Marietta, Georgia, which is actually about 20 miles outside of Atlanta. And it was Officer Nick St. Unge. He responded to a 911 call back on the 15th of May from a grandmother who said her two-month-old grandbaby was conscious but was not breathing. And this was actually caught on his dash cam video. You can see him run up to the grandmother um, 
take the baby from her arms and administer CPR up until the time that EMTs got there. And it was his quick actions that actually saved this young baby. And he's been on the department for five years. Uh, He arrived on the scene really just in the nick of time and was able to start CPR and resuscitate this two-year-old baby, or I'm sorry, two-month-old baby. Um, And that baby's doing fine and well right now. Um, You know, this is one of those stories you haven't heard on mainstream media, again, because it doesn't fit the narrative. Uh, He is a white officer. The lady that called 911 is black. Obviously, the baby is black. Uh, But you didn't really hear about this on mainstream media because it doesn't fit the narrative that we usually see on mainstream media. I do want to tip my hats off to ABC News, though, however, who did a piece on it. And it's actually on their website, abcnews.go.com. So hats off to them. You know, I consider them mainstream media. ABC is pretty big. Uh, So hats off to them for reporting that story and not just showing these stories that we always see that show police in a negative light. Now to the not so good part of the show, the 10-7 segment, which is how I end my show every week, spotlighting an officer killed in the line of duty. And it's only fitting that tonight I honor and I highlight Officer Amy Caprio. Her end of watch was Monday, May 21st, 2018. Police officer Amy Caprio was intentionally struck and killed by a vehicle driven by a juvenile burglary suspect in front of 7-Eleven Way in Perry Hall area of Baltimore County. She had responded to calls about a burglary in progress in the neighborhood at approximately 2 o'clock in the afternoon and was given a description of a black Jeep Wrangler. As she arrived in the area, she located the vehicle, which had previously been stolen and followed it to the dead end of the cul-de-sac where she challenged her driver to exit the vehicle. The juvenile driver opened the door and then accelerated towards Officer Caprio, fatally striking her. A volunteer firefighter who had lived nearby immediately performed performed CPR until Officer Caprio was transported to Franklin Square Hospital where she was pronounced dead. The vehicle's driver abandoned the vehicle nearby and was taken into custody a short time later and charged as an adult with first-degree murder. The three other juveniles involved in the burglary were also apprehended and charged as adults with Officer Caprio's murder. Officer Caprio was survived by her husband, parents, and her sister, and she served with the department for three years and eight months. Thank you, Officer Caprio, for your service to the community for those three years and eight months. Thank you for being brave enough to pay the ultimate sacrifice in your duties of protecting and serving the community. I want to thank you, my loyal listeners, for listening. And as always, I will see you right here, same time, next week, RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter, at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. 
This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is a Jim Fannin Show Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Build your home as a sanctuary, a cocoon, if you will, for all the negativity in life. Because it's there. Uh, You know, I, I travel a lot. I see it. I read body language. You can feel it emotionally. You can pick up the vibe. To me, it's the most stressful I've ever seen America. But what's that got to do with your house? Make it a home. Music, candles. Forbid a few things to be discussed. But to have negativity in your home creates chaos, increases thoughts, decreases sleep quality, decreases enjoyment, totally runs roughshod over relaxation. And your home should be a palm tree in a breeze. And when you get home, it should be, ah, home. Don't make it a house. Make it a home. The Jim Fannin Show can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.